If anyone ever asks why we use incense in the Catholic Church, we're trying to fill the Lord's house with smoke like Isaiah saw in his vision that we read about today. It reminds me of a few years ago, my son Josiah, who's in college now, many of you I know know him, was the uh, thoroughfare uh, at Mass while he was here. And there was one Sunday he was in the sacristy getting ready before Mass, and he had lit the charcoal for the incense. And he was standing there holding that piece of lit charcoal in the tongs, and he kind of wondered out loud, jokingly, in the way that he does, he says, if I put this on my lips, will it purge me of my sins? And Father Coleman, our pastor at the time, was standing there, and he said, you know, baptism's less painful. (laughs) (laughs) And we laughed at that, but there's an important point there to be made about God's gentleness in how he deals with our imperfections and our sins. Baptism is indeed less painful, um, as is confession, by the way. You know, a few days ago, we celebrated on Wednesday the feast of the presentation of the Lord, and the first reading for that Mass, for the presentation of the Lord, is from Malachi. And the prophet Malachi says, Who could endure the day of the Lord's coming. Who could endure it? And he describes that day as the Lord purifying us in fire, as silver is purified in fire. And that's, that's a rather violent image. If you've ever seen silver or gold or any precious metal like that purified in fire, the way they do it is they melt it down. They melt it down so that all the impurities rise to the top and can be removed. That's how you purify silver in fire. And Malachi says when the Lord comes, it will be like that. Who could endure that day? But of course, the irony is that we read from this at the feast of the presentation of the Lord when the Lord did come into his temple and he came as a baby being carried in the arms of his mother. Our Lord is very gentle in how he deals with us. Today we read about two people who have what you could call a close encounter with God. Not a close encounter of the third kind, but some other kind. A close encounter with God. And they both have the same reaction when they realize that they are in the presence of the Holy One. And that reaction is, I am not worthy. I am not worthy. And that's the only honest reaction that we could have, isn't it, when we're in the presence of God? I'm not worthy. It's like if you've ever been driving down the highway and you know, you've, you're looking through the windshield and it's mostly clean. There might be a few smears or something, but it's clean. You think it's clean. And then you turn a corner, and suddenly now you're, you're facing the sun. And now that you've turned the corner and you're facing the sun, that bright sun is just illuminating every dead bug and every smear and every crack and every fingerprint all over your windshield. And you see just how dirty it is, and it's so dirty you can hardly see the road for it. Well, it was always dirty. It was always dirty. You just didn't see it until you 
were facing towards the sun. And the light of God's holiness is like that. It illuminates our sin. It illuminates our sin. In the light of God's perfect love, we realize how imperfect our own love is. And that's why in Proverbs it says, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Because God is scary. It can be scary to have your sins illuminated like that. It can be scary to realize how imperfect you are in the light of such perfection. So God is frightening. It's okay to say that. But he's not frightening because he isn't good. He's frightening because he's so incredibly good. It feels like it's going to overwhelm us. You know, before the light of God's love, we're like these candles here on the altar. We give a little bit of light. We're pretty, right? We give a little bit of light. But what happens to that candle when it gets close to the sun? That candle just melts away to nothing. It's what it's like when we're close to God. And so, yes, God's love is frightening. And we can see this not just with God, but also with all of those who reflect God's holiness to us, like the angels. Isaiah calls the angels that he saw the seraphim. That means the burning ones. They're burning with God's love. That's why the first thing angels say in the scriptures when they appear to someone is, do not be afraid. It's because when an angel is before us, it's so frightening there's a scene in C.S. Lewis's uh, novel, Out of the Silent Planet, where the main character, Ransom, meets an angel for the first time. And at first he's frightened because he doesn't know what this strange creature is. And so he's worried, like, what is this? It might be dangerous. But as he gets close to it, he changes. He's frightened not because he, doesn't, because he thinks this creature is dangerous, because he senses, without a shadow of a doubt, that this creature is good, is powerfully good. He becomes frightened for a different reason, and it's that he begins to realize about himself that he doesn't love goodness as much as he thought that he did. And that's unsettling. The saints have a similar effect on people. People don't always like the saints. St. Benedict's monks tried to poison him, not once, but twice. People tried to assassinate St. John Bosco. They tried to assassinate St. John Paul II. People don't always like the saints. Mother Teresa was praised universally for all the charitable work that she did on the streets of Calcutta, but when she came to Washington, D.C. to speak at the National Prayer Breakfast in 1994, for those of you who remember that, she stood there in front of President Clinton and dozens of other Washington politicians and she called abortion the greatest destroyer of peace and love in the world. And she said that to reject a child is to reject Jesus. She made people uncomfortable. She did not win any friends in the room that day. And it wasn't just the words that she spoke, right? Because the people in that room thought that they were the most powerful people in the world. But now this tiny, wrinkled, little Albanian woman was there radiating a power 
that was greater than anything that they could comprehend because she was radiating God's love. Our reading last Sunday from 1 Corinthians about love, if you remember, St. Paul says love doesn't boast. It's because love doesn't have to. Real love doesn't have to. Real love speaks for itself. And a close encounter with that kind of love, even just as reflected in the saints, can make you feel unworthy. And it leaves you with two options, doesn't it? You can either run from it so that you don't get burned by that love, or you can stay. You can stay and you can endure it and you can let yourself be refined by the fire of God's love for you. And that requires courage and it requires humility because that means all of our imperfections are going to rise to the top. All of your imperfections will come to light. We don't like that. That's why so many people, I think, fail to really take the Christian life seriously, including a lot of Christians. G.K. Chesterton said once that Christianity has not been tried and found wanting It's been found difficult and not tried. And the difficult part of our religion is that conversion. It's that conversion. We're afraid to really walk the path of discipleship because that means we're going to have to change. We're afraid to get too close to the angels because that means we'll have to confront our demons. But it's worth it. It's really worth it. Proverbs says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. It's not the end. Because the end is holiness. The end is for us to be like God and to burn with that same kind of radiant love that God burns with. I do RCIA with college students every year, and a few years ago there was a young man who was sharing with me some of the struggles that he was going through as part of his conversion and his trying to live more virtuously in life. Before he became Christian, he had been a practitioner of neo-pagan spirituality. He was into occult practices, and he said that all of the the rituals and and things uh, of the occult appealed to his sense of religiosity, and he felt like it gave him some connection to the spiritual that he was seeking. But he said all of the occult rituals were all about trying to exert our influence on the outside world. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, no one ever tried to make me a better person. And that's what he was finding difficult about Christianity. It was forcing him to try and be a better person. So even though it was difficult for him, it was a struggle, he said, it's worth it. It's worth it. I want to be a better person. You know, they say that God loves us just as we are, right? And that's true. God loves us just the way we are. But he loves us too much to want us to stay just the way we are. He wants to transform us into saints, So if you've ever felt like you're not worthy to be with God, that's true. None of us is. No one's worthy 
to be with God. But God doesn't love us because we're worthy. You don't have to be worthy of God's love. And no one goes to heaven because they're good enough for heaven. No one's good enough for heaven. You don't go to heaven because you're good enough. You go to heaven because God is good. And you've allowed God to transform you with his goodness. You know, God tells Moses in Exodus, no one can see my face and live. And that's true. But the only son of God, who is himself God, has revealed God to us. We can't go to God on our own, so that's why God comes to us. He's gentle in dealing with us. He meets us where we are. In the first reading, Isaiah sees God in a vision when he's taken up to the heavenly temple. But in the gospel, Peter sees God in Jesus Christ, in this man who gets into his fishing boat. God comes to us today in the form of bread and wine here on this altar. It's the same God. It's the same God. Even though he's not as overwhelming as what Isaiah saw in his vision. It's the same God. And our response is the same, isn't it? Before we come and approach this God, we say, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. But only say the word and my soul will be healed. If we say those words and really mean it, to really mean those words, it takes humility and it takes courage. It takes humility to admit, Lord, I am not worthy. To admit, I need healing. And I need you to do it because I can't heal myself. And it takes courage to, at the same time, at the same time that we admit our unworthiness, it takes courage to stand there and say, but here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am. Send me. Not knowing where we will be sent. Usually these readings are read in the context of vocational discernment. And it's easy to see why. Right? Is God calling me to be a fisher of men like Peter? Is God calling me to be his prophet like Isaiah? How is God calling me to proclaim Christ like St. Paul is proclaiming Christ? But vocational discernment has to begin with our living out what the Second Vatican Council calls our universal vocation, the universal vocation of all the baptized, and that's the vocation to holiness, to be holy as God is holy. To love and to be to love as God loves and to be loved by God. That's the meaning of life. To love God and be loved by God. And everything else flows from that. Right? Evangelization flows from that. Evangelization doesn't mean going out there in the world and telling everybody that they need to be better. That doesn't win any friends for Jesus. Evangelization begins by saying, you know what, I need to be better. I need to be better. Jesus, I need you to help me be better. And then cooperating with God's grace that he pours into our life. And if you do this, if you do this, then you will be his witness in the world because others will see Christ at work in you. Others will see Christ at work 
in you. If you try and be a witness, if you try and be an apostle, if you try and be an evangelist and you are not holy, you will fail. If you just work on holiness and being a holy person, you can't help but evangelize. You can't help but be his witness. This is why Jesus, Jesus never tells us to be holy. He never says be holy. He says, be holy as my Father in heaven is holy. Because we can't be holy on our own. Only God is holy. God doesn't expect us to be holy on our own. Instead, he invites us to share in his holiness, to be holy with him. And in the same way, Jesus doesn't command us to love each other. He never says, go love each other. He says, love one another as I have loved you. We're called to love with Christ's love because our love's not enough. Our love is imperfect. Our love will fail. Our love is like the candles on this altar. They shine a little bit. God wants us to shine like the sun, to shine like his sun to receive that love of Christ and then share it with others. And to do that, we've got to get close. We've got to have our close encounter with God. We've got to get close to that refining fire that's at the heart of God and let ourselves be transformed by it. Let our sins, our imperfections rise to the top so God can deal with them. Trusting in him, not knowing what God's plan for us might be, not knowing where that will lead, but knowing that whatever it is, whatever might come, it will be for our good because God loves us.